water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them, but when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Dang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe and can save the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to What's Oppa, a rewatch podcast of the greatest show ever, Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm Joyce. I'm Justin. And I'm Anand. And this week, we want to give a special shout out to our friend Aileen, who read the intro. This is episode 47 of our podcast, where we'll be discussing The Puppet Master. <laughs> Jumping straight into this episode, uh, this is a really cool one. It is a Halloween special episode. It originally aired on October 25th, 2007 in the United Kingdom, but unfortunately it missed it in the U.S. when it aired on November 9th, 2007. Um, this episode was conceptualized with the name The Dark Side of the Moon, um, a fact that was accidentally referenced in Sozin's Comet, The Final Battle, uh, which is a book written before the series is finished. Um, and obviously that didn't end up being the case. But... It's a pretty cool idea for an episode title, especially considering what we'll see very, very shortly. Um, and the other really cool fun fact about this episode, I think is appropriate to say now, is that this is the second and final time we see Toph ever blushing. Um, so mm. we should cherish it while it lasts. That is an important, important stat, I think. All right. So we jump into the opening scene of this episode and it starts out with some creepy music playing in the background while the title card is coming up. And then we see it open on the moon, but it's not a full moon. It's almost a full moon because they made it precisely line up so that the next day it will be a full moon. So they did a good job of keeping track of the moon this one time. Yeah, and also in this same shot, we see the moon uh, is over a mountain, and we also see the field of fire lilies that we'll see later. Um, so it's really setting the scene for the kind of terrain that we're going to be encountering in this episode. Uh, and the mountain is where the prisoners are located, of course. So mm -hmm. spooky. Another fun fact this mountain Joyce brought up is like the rest of the season, um, based on a geographical feature in Iceland, and it's more commonly known as Queen Mountain, and I am definitely butchering it. I highly recommend you go out and try to pronounce this for yourself. Uh, it's Hedubre. I, you know, I usually look up on YouTube how to pronounce things, and there's always, you know, those channels that I'm sure make a ton of money off of it, but this doesn't even show up. That's how, like, out there this is. But it's pretty cool. Um, the other cool fact about this mountain and the village we're going to see soon, it doesn't even have a name. I feel like usually the wiki is good at finding the name of a village in some obscure reference somewhere. It doesn't even have a name. It's just called Hama's Village. Creepy. I mean, she's she controls everything that goes on in this village. <laughs> so it basically is her village. Yeah. So then we go to Team Avatar sitting around a campfire and they're all kind of telling scary stories to each other. So Sokka begins... And, you know, he tells this whole story all drawn out and dramatic. And then everyone's like so unimpressed and talks like, Water Tribe slumber parties must stink. 
And so everyone's just chilling. And the guitar is like, no, wait, I've got one. And this is a true Southern Water Tribe story. And then Sokka's like, a doubtful. And then she's like, no, this one involves mom. And then they get all serious. But it's basically about this girl named Nini, who is a friend of her mom. And then after a snowstorm buried the whole village, um, like Nini disappears. But then they see some smoke coming out of Nini's uh, home's igloo. Um, and then some people say that, you know, they could see Nini um, uh, in the home, but she wasn't really there. Yeah. And I think the whole episode is really great with animation. But first, well, first the animation of Katara's eyes when she's like pretending to be Nini, it's just so insane. And also her scary story voice is mm -hmm. so good. Um, so yeah, just like incredible acting in this episode and incredible animation for all the like this horror type expressions that people make. Yeah, also I'm, I'm pretty impressed with Katara. I didn't know she had it in her to be such a good storyteller, you know, mm -hmm. she's pretty good. Yeah, so then suddenly after the story's done, Toph is like, wait, guys, did you hear that? She says, I hear people under the mountain and they're screaming. Yeah, so I have a question here. In the last episode, we saw Aang using seismic sense. So why can he not hear them screaming? I guess he's just not as good as Toph. Like, I guess we never really see Aang use it just passively. You know, Toph is always the one who can sense when people are coming, you know, mm -hmm. they're in danger. But I guess Aang ha probably has to fully focus in order to use seismic sense. I don't know. Yeah, my theory is that Aang is not as good of a bender as we think he is. And we'll, we'll see more <laughs> evidence of that later in this episode. Um, he has four elements to handle, all right. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> um Actually, I think a fun fact about this episode is that Aang doesn't bend at all in this episode, which is pretty rare. Yeah, because mm. he, he sucks at bending. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So mean. Um, a very cool detail in this scene that just happened is that after she finishes saying this, like uh, Sokka... Momo, Aang, and Katara like all get super spooked and they like hug each other. And it's Sokka off to the corner, Katara and Aang hugging each other, and then like Momo's in the middle. And like, ah, oh, that's like, you know, Katang. But then also, Momo's face is like so shocked, he looks like a sheep. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah. I, there's a lot of like really cool jump scares, but I think even nicer is like the characters' reactions to those jump scares. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, let's not forget about Momaka, you know, yeah, that's, Momaka, that's a ship that's too. I was say too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what bypasses both Aang and Toph's seismic sense is Hama sneaking up on them. So randomly a woman comes from the shadows and is like, hello, children. And then they all huddle together. And then she comes into the light and then she says, sorry to frighten you. My name is Hama. You children shouldn't be out in the forest all by yourselves at night. I have an inn nearby. Why don't you come back there for some spiced tea and warm beds? Um, and yeah, I mean, just crazy that they take her up on this, first of all, you know, but I guess they didn't really grow up with parents who would teach them not to talk to strangers. Uh, 
But yeah, I guess here I was thinking, oh, is there some sort of, you know, this whole episode really draws on horror tropes uh, from the horror genre. And I was thinking, is there an in trope? Is that a thing? You know, a haunted in haunted hotel. Um, I guess her inn's not really haunted, but just the fact that she's like an inn owner, I feel like is already creepy. Um, And I'm not very experienced in this genre, but I was just looking things up and some other typical horror tropes that this episode draws upon are people mysteriously going missing, uh, the nice woman who has a secret, um, and also most of the scenes in this episode take place at night. Yeah. She's also like a witch. Yeah. I guess. Because mm-hmm. she's got like the ice claws and everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She says some really creepy stuff too. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, some more fun facts. Hama actually means beach in Japanese, so on brand for the water theme here. Um, And some fun facts about her voice actor, Tress McNeil. She also voices Ying Chen, which is pretty cool. Um, Some interesting backstory that I thought was very cool and motivating. She was born in California and loved cartoons as a child and always wanted to be a voice actress from the age of eight. But she opted for a more practical career, feeling that she would never be able to realize her dreams. And so she went to UC Berkeley, uh, but then eventually ended up going to broadcasting school and is now super successful. Um, Some of her more well-known features are the mom from Futurama, and she has more than 350 credits in The Simpsons. What I actually realize I recognize her from is a little bit of an out and embarrassing for me, but I've seen Cinderella 3 like many times as a child because it was just on VHS <laughs> and she's actually Anastasia. Aww, that's yeah. so cute. Yeah, you really outed yourself there. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I respect it. Yeah. Uh, I also have a few fun facts about Hama. Apparently Hama's name is similar to the Greek word Hama, or I don't know how to how you say it, but apparently means blood, which is very appropriate as Hama it was the inventor of bloodbending. And it's also similar to the Cherokee word Hama, which means water. So a lot of like water blood vibes. Um, anyways, the next scene is back in town and they have followed this creepy lady to her inn and her, she's serving them tea. And Katara says, thanks for letting us stay here tonight. You have a lovely inn. And Hama's like, aren't you sweet? You know, you should be careful. People have been disappearing in those woods you were camping in. And I just thought like, why would she say this? You know, like the fact that she says this is the the reason they're tipped off to something being off in this village. I guess they like overhear some conversation when they're in the market. But yeah, at first I was a little confused, but I guess it also, I guess maybe it's to lure them in, but also they're already there at her inn. So yeah, I don't know. This was just like a little confusing to me. Just like build trust, I guess, you know? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they're going to like, they're going to find out anyways. Um, And another quick fun fact is apparently Hama acquired this inn several years before the end of the Hundred Year War or when she, you know, escaped. But uh, the previous owner mysteriously vanished. So (laughs) I wonder which one of those people in the cave is the owner. Anyways, and Sokka says, what do you mean disappearing? And Hama's like, when the moon turns full, people walk in and they don't come out. And then she just, you know, diverts their attention from that statement. And she says, who wants more tea? And tries to distract them. Yeah. And then there's a whole montage where Sokka can't sleep because he's creeped out, but then immediately knocks out. I just thought a cool detail here is that Sokka sleeps without wearing anything, which, you know, uh, I feel like is a vibe, but it's like very pretty on brand for Sokka as well. <laughs> um, also makes you question all the times they sleep outside together. 
Um, anyway, moving on. Uh, so the next day he wakes up and Hama and I believe Katara is standing over him. They're like, oh, it's time to go shopping. And I thought he was like a shopaholic, but he's like very dejected uh, having to go shopping. Maybe he likes sleep more than he likes shopping. I don't know. Mm, it's probably a tough one. Also, going shopping with the girls, I think, is probably very different because you're just in the back, like, carrying everything, you know? Mm, that's so. true. That is true. Which they are. Him and Aang and Toph <laughs> <laughs> are all, like, carrying all the stuff they're buying. Yeah. Toph's one of the boys. <laughs> so, Katara and Hama buy a bunch of stuff, and they're forcing everyone else to carry it for them. And they see a street vendor, Mr. Yao, and Katara says, that Mr. Yao seems to have a thing for you. Maybe we should go back and see if he'll give us some free Komodo sausages. And then the extras here actually says that Komodo sausages are made from the meat of Komodo rhinos, um, from the rough rhinos, and they're frequently served at Fire Nation picnics and sporting events, which is pretty cool. Yummy. And then Kama says, you would have me use my feminine charm to take advantage of that poor man? I think you and I are going to get along swimmingly. And then they walk away and they, they keep going around shopping for a while. And they pass a villager who says, you won't have any ash bananas till next week. And the, this shop owner says, well, I'll have to send the boy to Hingwa Island to get them. And it's a two day trip. Some cool fun facts about ash bananas. Uh, you really just can find anything in the Avatar universe. Um, they're actually a type of yam. So they have nothing to do with bananas. Um, and also, they look like there's a bunch of these. It's called zhengzi in Chinese. It's like rice and sometimes meat and fruit wrapped in banana leaves. So I thought that was like a cool detail too. But then the vi villager says, oh, right, tomorrow's the full moon. And the shop owner says, exactly. I can't lose another delivery boy in the woods. And Team Avatar overhears this. And then Sokka says, people disappearing in the woods. Weird stuff happening during a full moon. There's just reeks of spirit world shenanigans. And then Aang says, I bet if we take a little walk around town, we'll find out what these people did in the environment to make the spirits mad. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, is this a callback to Painted Lady? But then I was like, no, wait, it's a callback to Winter Solstice mm -hmm. when people are disappearing because the forest is burned slash being cut down. Um, so I just in general love the number of callbacks in this episode. It's like an insane number of callbacks, you know, all the way back to season one, too. So it's just really nicely summarizes like the story of the whole series but just like shows kind of the world and everything that like the team has been through or seen yeah plus one on that i think this opening for this episode the flashback sequence is the only one in this season to reference season one um so i think joaquin de santos uh wrote this episode it's pretty cool yeah, anyway, and then Sokka says, and then you can sew up this little mystery lickety-split, Avatar style. And Aang <laughs> says, helping people, that's what I do, with like a smirk on his face. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, oh, this is such a boy's moment, you know, just Sokka and Aang <laughs> being silly again, which I love. It's just, it's funny. Uh, Aang's really feeling himself, and usually he's not like that. Well, no, he has streaks of that. Um, but I also just there, you know, as they're going through this market, we do kind of see the trio of Aang, Sokka and Toph and then Katara off on her own, which is a little bit of continuity from the runaway. But it's just like kind of how things generally split off. And I like that they're consistent with like the little social dynamics of their group. Mm -hmm. And then Hama says, 
Why don't you take all those things back to the inn? I just have to run a couple more errands. I'll be back in a little while. And then Sokka says, this is a mysterious little town you have here. And Hama says, uh, in a very close-up shot, she's like, mysterious town for mysterious children. Why? Why? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Sokka is rightfully very suspicious, and I think I read online that Sokka reacts similarly to Hama, how he reacted to Jet. So his instincts are always really right with people when he, you know, who to trust and who not to trust. Um, whereas Katara in both situations was very quick to trust. Um, and maybe because she's a bit more like innocent, um, you know, like a hopeless like optimist in some ways and then she always gets like i don't know yeah i guess she yeah. gets duped more easily that's kind of interesting because i feel like for katara she if she can make a connection with someone really quickly then she gets really close to them right so like with hama i guess she doesn't know the water bending part yet but she feels like there's a connection there and then with jet it's like oh he lost his parents too and then i feel like they had a connection on that mm. Mm. With Zuko, too. Yeah, and with Zuko. Yeah, but then once you break her trust, there's no going back. Yes. <laughs> so true. That's a good yeah. point. So then Team Avatar goes back to the inn, and they're kind of just exploring around, and Sokka's like, that Hama seems a little strange, like she knows something, or she's hiding something. Yeah, I really like this scene because it brings back Detective Sokka. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we don't have the top hat and monocle this time, but <laughs> yeah, just want to call that out. Yeah. And then Katara responds. She's like, that's ridiculous. She's a nice woman who took us in and gave us a place to stay. She kind of reminds me of Grand Grand. Mm, so there's that personal connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Sokka still says, he's like, but what does she mean by that comment? Mysterious children. And Katara's like, gee, I don't know. Maybe because she found four strange kids camping in the woods at night. Isn't that a little mysterious? Uh, but then Sokka's like, nah, I'm going to take a look around. And so he starts just like wandering everywhere and poking into every little nook and cranny. And he finds a door that's stuck and just like pulls it open as hard as he can. And then a bunch of wooden puppets fall out. Yeah. And the puppets here are actually made to look like her prisoners. And like they're kind of one to one with the prisoners we see later, which is extremely creepy. Um so she must do that after the fact, which is <laughs> crazy. Um, also, this is just an amazing jump scare. Every single time I know it's coming, like, and I still get, I still jump. I don't know. They do it really well. Wait, I just thought about this. Like, she had to commission someone to make her those puppets. And uh, clearly the people from the village recognize who she is. So like, someone out there isn't making the connection of like, oh, I'm like making all these puppets for people that have disappeared. Um, I don't know. Or she makes them herself. True. It's a multi-talented old lady she is. <laughs> Dang. Entrepreneur, business manager, <laughs> war hero slash City survivor. mayor. <laughs> Hama city. <laughs> and part-time witch. Yeah. Stacked resume. But yeah, so now they're all a little bit creeped out um, and Sokka's like, we need to look more. So then he finds a room that's locked and he looks through the keyhole of that room and he sees a small little chest in the middle of the room and nothing else. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny because that's like not at all how keyholes work. <laughs> you just can't look through a keyhole. Um, it's a pretty funny trope. And my second thought is, why doesn't Toph just 
bend like the actual bolt to open in the door instead of making a key. I don't know. It seems like a lot of extra work. Mm-hmm. It's cooler though. I guess because then it would damage the door and they don't want to leave a tr- oh. any trace. Mm. Maybe. That's a good idea. And then, you know, the, the treasure chest perks of Toph and she's like, maybe it's treasure. That's what gets her attention. Um, yeah, so then Sokka starts trying to pick the lock and then he's able to do it. And then they all kind of cautiously, slowly step inside and look at the chest. And then Aang's like, we shouldn't be doing this. And it, <laughs> it's just so funny because Aang is such a side character in this episode and has like ab- plays absolutely no role. And he, you know, he's he's the avatar. And he's like, we shouldn't be doing this. And then like everyone just ignores him and then he doesn't do <laughs> anything to rectify the situation. It's just like... Uh, it's so silly, but that is really silly. Actually, I didn't realize how much he gets sidelined. Yeah, but anyway, they're all interested in the chest, so Sokka picks it up, and then it turns out it's locked. And then Toph is able to bend her meteor bracelet into the perfect key to unlock the chest, which is just like crazy overpowered. Um, but then, yeah, Toph tries to unlock the chest, and then Katara and Aang are in the back and look very nervous. Yeah, and I just, like, the expression they have is just, they're so afraid. And I was like, oh, you know, were they cautioning against breaking in because they thought it was wrong or because they were scared? I feel like it's kind of unclear. I think they're just really freaked out. Um, And I think Aang is actually scared when he's like, we shouldn't be doing this. Mm, Yeah, that's that's a good take. Yeah, so then Katara's like, this is crazy. I'm leaving. And then Sokka and Toph are, like, super into doing it. And then as soon as it pops open, they all like come back immediately to see what's actually inside. It's pretty well done. And then as soon as they're about to see what it is, we see Hama step in and say, I'll tell you what's in the box. And then they all scream. Yeah. It's surprising again here that Toph's seismic sense doesn't pick her up. Yeah. She's I guess a she's witch. She's just too focused on the chest and she's a witch. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then they all look really ashamed that they broke into her secret attic and broke in, inside her treasure chest, so rightfully so. And then Hama opens it, um, and they're, they're all looking at her. And Hama pulls out a comb. Um, and then they're all kind of surprised, and Sokka's like, an old comb? And Hama's like, yeah, it's my greatest treasure. It's the last thing I own from growing up in the Southern Water Tribe. Yeah, and a fun fact here is you might be wondering, how did Hama keep this comb even after she was imprisoned? And apparently she hid the comb in the entangled knots of her dreadlocked hair for years. So, <laughs> um, yeah, must mean a lot to her. Well, good for her. Um, and they, uh, they're they all kind of surprised. And then Hama's like, oh, I wanted to surprise you with this. And she said, I bought all this food today so I could fix you a big water tribe dinner. Of course, I can't get all the ingredients I need here, but ocean kumquats are a lot like sea prunes if you stew them long enough. And I was just thinking, like, do we think this is legit? Like, do we think it's true? Like, is this a moment where she's being authentic? Like, she did want to surprise them? Um, Because I guess there's no reason to not tell them earlier. Or is it more just for, like, the pacing of the episode? Either way, I mean, like, this information is revealed, like, at a really good time because, you know, you're, we were so suspicious and then this is, like, the secret. And fun fact about ocean kumquats is apparently they're small round fruits that are consumed in the Fire Nation. And they are similar to sea prunes, 
uh, in terms of flavor and consistency. However, they contain much more protein. Um, so we got the superfood here in the Fire Nation, um, <laughs> you know, superior food to all the other nations. <laughs> um, yeah. I love imagining like Sokka wakes up in the morning, he makes his uh, sea prune shake. <laughs> yeah, like flexes his muscles in the mirror. Yeah. 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 Some uh, other fun facts. Uh, Aang actually tried sea prunes, stewed sea prunes, in Bato of the Water Tribe episode, if you guys remember. And he was very clearly not a fan back then and is still not a fan now. Yeah, I feel like that was like a big part of that episode about Aang, how <laughs> yeah. Aang just hated sea prunes. Yeah. And the extras actually say that stewed sea prunes are a down-home southern water tribe dish. I actually don't know what that means. Um, down hyphen home. I don't know if you guys have any clue. Probably just like a comfort food or something. That's my interpretation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But then as we, as Justin said, Aang kind of makes a face and it's like, great. Um, it was pretty subtle, but yeah, it's a good callback. Yeah. It's also like interesting to think about the fact that like Toph wasn't around for any of this. So she's just like saying like, how does Aang know any of this information? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so then they're all sitting at the dinner table and Aang is whispering to Toph, I'd steer clear of the sea prunes. Um, so yeah, uh, kind of uh, to your point, Justin, yeah, Toph has never tried sea prunes. And then she said, I thought they were ocean kumquats. And Aang says, close enough. And Hama's like, who wants five flavor soup? And they all raise their hands uh, and she water bends the soup into their bowls. Um, and they're all very impressed. And Katara's like, oh my gosh, you're a waterbender. I've never met another waterbender from our tribe. And Hama's like, that's because the Fire Nation wiped them all out. I was the last one. And then she's like, I was stolen from my home. Now we get a flashback where we get to learn a little bit more about what happened in the in the Southern Water Tribe. And Hama says, it was over 60 years ago when the raid started. And you can see the capital of the Southern Water Tribe at the time. It's pretty big. There are a lot of big buildings. Um, and apparently the capital was called Wolf Cove. Um, but yeah, just cool to see what it was like then, as opposed to in the first episode, there's like one igloo <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of children, a couple of geriatrics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the extras here actually says something pretty interesting. It says part of the Southern Raiders, uh, referencing the Fire Nation soldiers, we'll learn more about them in a later episode and that we will. Yeah. But it's cool to see them here in action. Yeah, for sure. And, um, then Hama approaches a friend, but then Ash starts to fall. And is this Grand Grand? I think Grand Grand definitely is in here somewhere. I think Grand Grand's also there as, you know, when she was younger, when Hama's getting taken away. But either way, there's some young Grand Grand cameos. Um, and she kind of looks similar to Katara in some ways. Um, and then they run, uh, all the villagers like run, and then they see Fire Nation ships hurtling cannonballs onto the village and destroying the village. And then Hama's like, they came again and again, each time rounding up more of our waterbenders and taking them captive. Yeah, and they show several scenes of just like waterbenders trying to fight away the firebenders and i thought just one interesting side note was that like the women there are fighting too and that's interesting because in the northern water tribe 
the women were kind of relegated to healing and weren't allowed to fight. Um, but it's, yeah, it's kind of cool. I guess like the Southern water tribe was like a more like egalitarian, like small tribe type deal. And then the Northern water tribe was more like more hierarchical and like stratified. Um, but I thought that was just like an interesting aside. Mm, yeah, it is pretty cool. Um, yeah, and then the battle scene fades and Hama and some of the other waterbenders are using waterbending to capsize the a Fire Nation ship, the one we see from the first episode. And then Hama's like, we did our best to hold them off, but our numbers dwindled as the raids continued. Finally, I too was captured. And I read this online, but if you pay attention, that a lot of these shots where Hama is being captured mirror the first episode when Aang is being captured. Um, they're really similar mm. uh, in terms of the visuals. And then Hama says, I was led away in chains, the last waterbender of the Southern Water Tribe. At the time. <laughs> yeah, clearly she's very sad. So Katara walks over and puts her arms around her shoulder. And Hama says, they put us in terrible prisons here in the Fire Nation. I was the only one who managed to escape. And I read this online, which blew my mind, but Hama's escape might have actually been the reason why the Fire Nation resorted to killing the waterbenders instead of taking Whoa. them prison, uh, mm. or taking them as prisoners. Um, because maybe the idea is like, oh, these prisons aren't secure. We can't risk it. And so Hama escaping might have actually led to Katara's mother being killed. Because in that, in that episode, he's like, we're not taking prisoners today. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but I was like, dang. She's evil. No, just kidding. But uh, anyways, yeah. not evil for escaping, but just another one of the repercussions of her actions. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like the Fire Nation is pretty creative with their prisons, especially with the prison break scene in the last season um, where they put all the earthbenders on a, on a ship. Mm -hmm. Wait, you mean boiling rock? Bo yeah. Wait, no, not boiling rock. Imprisoned? Imprisoned. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. The me all metal. Yeah. But they had a bunch of coal. So it mm. didn't even matter. Um, and then Sokka says, how did you get away? And why did you stay in the fire nation? And then Hama says, I'm sorry, it's too painful to talk about anymore. And then Katara says, I can't tell you what it means to meet you. It's an honor. You're a hero. And then Hama says, I never thought I'd meet another Southern waterbender. I'd like to teach you what I know so you can carry on the Southern tradition when I'm gone. And then Katara says, yes, yes, of course. To learn about my heritage, it would mean everything to me. Um, <laughs> and it's like a very poignant moment and very serious moment. And, and then the, uh, the extras just like pops up with a, with their fact. And it, all it says is Katara can be a bit of a waterbending nerd. <laughs> that was just so funny. <laughs> Cute. Yeah. So then Katara and Hama begin their training. And the first thing that Hama shows her uh, is that you have to learn to control water wherever it exists. And so there are a couple callbacks here. Katara, Katara's like, oh yeah, when we were like stranded in the desert, there was like nothing I could do. Then Hama shows her that you can even pull water out of the air. And then she's like, you have to keep an open mind, Katara. And then so they continue their training later in the fire lily field that we saw from the opening part. And Katara's like, wow, these flowers are beautiful. And Hama says, they're called fire lilies. They only bloom a few weeks a year 
But they're one of my favorite things about living here. And like all plants and all living things, they're filled with water. The one thing I want to say about this is that this scene is just like absolutely beautiful. Um, it's animated so well and the fire lilies are so distinctly red um, that it's just a really pretty scene and it was well, well designed. Yeah. Um, the Exorcist here says the lilies bloom all over the Fire Nation and they exemplify fiery purity and passion. And some more fun facts. Um, the flowers carry a similar connotation to the panda lilies in the Earth Kingdom. And I like to think that every, you know, type of bending or the nations have all their flowers. But, you know, the fact that they're all flowers means it's all connected and goes back to this theme of like connectedness, which is kind of cool. Um, and flowers also in, in Eastern religions represent like impermanence and like, you know, beauty and purity and stuff like that, which is also kind of cool connection. Um, but that also fire lilies are a favorite subject of many poets and artists in the Fire Nation. Which is wow. also cool. Yeah. yeah. Full of inspiration. True. And uh, real quick, I also have a fact. Uh, but yeah, Aang actually in this episode describes the village and its surroundings as the nicest natural setting in the Fire Nation. So, wow. yeah, it is really That's beautiful. Something. So they do a good job here kind of, you know, animating it, bringing it to life. I will say, though, pictures of this mountain in Iceland, uh, they don't look this nice. <laughs> no offense to Iceland. <laughs> Do better, Iceland. Um, and then so Katara has a callback here and she's like, I met a waterbender who lived in a swamp and could control the vines by bending the water inside. Yeah, and this is, of course, a callback to the swamp episode where who is a master of the swamp vines. But Hama says, you can take it even further. And then she does this water bending move where she draws the water from a bunch of fire lilies in the area and then uses them to slice uh, a rock nearby all the way. And then Katara says, that was incredible. But then she sees all the lilies that have wilted and they're just totally black. And it's such a stark contrast between the dead lilies and the alive ones. And then she's like, it's a shame about the lilies though. And then Hama says, they're just flowers. When you're a waterbender in a strange land, you do what you must to survive. And then she says, tonight I'll teach you the ultimate technique of water bending. It can only be done during the full moon when your bending is at its peak. And real quick, one thing, I feel like Hama bending the water out of these lilies in some sense is an analogy of her treatment of like firebenders. If, if you take the fire lily to just be like a citizen of the Fire Nation. Yeah, great point. Um, and it's very fitting that there are fire lilies and and all that yeah um yeah so the next scene is team avatar visiting old man ding um because he's the only known person who has kind of escaped this disappearing situation and ang's like old man ding and then uh apparently this is a pun because ding in mandarin actually means nail and he is seen nailing some things at the time when they meet him. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Some more fun facts. Ding's actual age is 67. So he's getting up there. He's uh, definitely retirement age. Um, and also the Nick.com archive refers to Ding as a kooky old codger. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that must be pretty old for those times, right? 
or maybe not. Maybe they're like built different because Isn't all Iro the or Iro's probably pretty old. Sozin <laughs> gets really old, so yeah. I don't know. They're eating their super ocean kumquats, so they're living <laughs> <laughs> living long lives. Um, it's a blue zone. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Aang approaches and helps Ding lift up one of the boards that he's nailing down. And I guess I just didn't even put it together that the reason he's like nailing stuff, I just thought he was doing general construction, but it's because he's boarding up his windows for the night of the full moon because um, he's very paranoid now, rightfully so. And then Ding is like, yeah, I'm not trying to get snatched up by this moon monster again. And Sok is like, oh, yeah, can we ask you about that? And Aang's like, did you get a good look at the spirit that took you? And Ding's like, didn't see no spirit, just felt something come over me. That guy was possessed or something. <laughs> like, he like he does sound like a codger or whatever. Um, I don't know what that means, actually, but he definitely gives old man vibes. Um and then he's like, I tried to fight it, but I couldn't control my own limbs. It's, and then he was like, ah, I just started walking up to that cave. And then I looked up for my last glimpse of light. And then the sun started to rise. And he was like, I hightailed it away from the mountain as quick as I could. Um, yeah, he's just like funny, um, like a good side character moment, you know, a little bit of comedy in this creepy episode. Um, and then Toph is like, Oh no, like I did hear people screaming under the mountain. The missing villagers must still be there. Yeah, and then they all make their way to the mountain. Toph's like, I can hear them. They're this way and they, they run away. And I thought even a scene as small as this was so well done because one, the music, the music is actually the Avatar theme, but it's a little like quieter and not, not quite the same, but it's like a variant of the Avatar theme, which they usually reserve for like season finales. Um, so there's like super epic like music, but... They also modify it in like a way that's fitting for the, the episode. And then the camera angle too, or like they, they play around with the camera really well in this episode in this episode too, which I think adds to the drama a lot. Um, and it like makes it a lot more dramatic as they like run through the woods, the mountain. Oh yeah. I feel like it would be cool if this episode was like, you know, quote unquote filmed in like a found footage kind of way. But I guess that's a, that's a lot to ask mm. of uh, animation in the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so now we're back in the woods, you know, as you do with an old lady you just met by yourself. <laughs> and um, the first shot is actually a cat owl sighting, which is pretty cool. I don't know how rare it is, but the extra says, look, it's a cat owl sighting. You can tell by its distinctive meow hoot. Um, <laughs> so more cool animals. And then Hama says, can you feel the power the full moon brings? And she breathes in and stands slightly taller. And she says, for generations, it has blessed waterbenders with its glow, allowing us to do incredible things. And then she starts like, you know, flexing and her forearms get incredibly veiny and like pretty creepy. Um, and <laughs> the extras here says that um, it's pretty mean, but it says, ew, varicose veins. She should get those looked at. Which... <laughs> If you have varicose veins out there, they're very normal and it's okay to have them and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, <laughs> the extras are just being very judgmental. Um, and then Hama says in a close-up, I've never felt more alive. And I just have to say, uh, I feel or I believe that her face, her facial animations are animated so well in this episode because uh, she has like all these wrinkles and stuff compared to you know all the young people in the show who are just like 
extensively just ovals um she actually has like a lot of details in her face and it reminds me a lot of spirited away um you guys know the the main the, mm. the main witch character she has like yeah all these yeah, wrinkles on her face that is, reminded me of that too yeah, yeah. I thought of that a lot yeah you're right. The fact that she's old too gives a lot more like room for playing with like showing her expressions. Like she is like a cute old lady and so at some points in this episode like appears that way and then there's also this which is so wild. Um and yeah, so the next scene is back to Aang, Sokka and Toph and they've arrived at the mountain and they're standing at the mouth of this cave and Toph goes, this is the place let's go. And they see a door and she metal bends it open and they find all the villagers chained to the walls. And then when they save the prisoners, the prisoners tell them that it was no spirit who let them there. It was a witch. And then the team puts it together that it was Hama. And then we get a quick last minute flashback of Hama learning bloodbending. Um, so we see her in the prison and she's realizing that water exists in all living things. And then she bends this elephant rat that was just scurrying around her cage. And then she said she spent years developing this skill that would lead to her escape. And then she's like, it's called bloodbending. And it fades back to the present. Some cool fun facts. Well, creepy facts about bloodbending. Uh, bloodbending's movements resemble those of chinna, which is apparently a type of martial arts, uh, Chinese martial arts that is designed to entrap or lock an opponent's limbs. And some other facts that are more relevant in Korra, not as relevant here, but I thought were interesting enough to bring up. Um, if you remember, uh, there are later benders like Amon and Tarlock who can bloodbend, uh, not during the full moon. So it's not actually a requirement that it is a full moon in order for you to bloodbend. And they use bloodbending to actually prevent some some individuals from actually bending at all. So you can sever someone's ability to bend, um, which is the only other technique outside of energy bending, which we see later in this show, um, that can prevent someone from bending. And Kantara, you know, in Korra, actually... Um, is unable to reverse that. So it's like a mostly permanent thing when you sever someone's connection to bending using bloodbending. And uh, Katara actually is the only bender capable of bloodbending still alive at the end of Korra, which, yeah, it's a very high mortality rate technique. Yeah, and then some last fun, creepy facts. Um, Benjamin Wynn, who is responsible for a lot of the sound design, his original sound effect for bloodbending used recordings of vegetables like celery and cabbage being crunched and crumpled. And um, certain parts of the production uh, found it so gross, gory, and creepy that they actually changed the sound. Yeah, pretty scary stuff. Um, and then she starts pitching this scary technique to Katara. And she's like, once you perfect this technique, you can control anything or anyone. And then Katara's like, but to reach inside someone and control them, I don't know if I want that kind of power. And then Hama's like, the choice is not yours. The power exists. And it's your duty to use the gifts you've been given to win this war. And then she's like, Katara, they try to wipe us out. Our entire culture, your mother. And yeah, I think it's interesting that she's like, oh, we have to use you have to use your gifts to win this war. Um, Cause she's really just terrorizing random people. Like you would think that maybe she 
would do something slightly more productive. Like if she did want to use this evil power to actually try to help, um, you know, maybe she could go for the armies or something, but she's really just like so deluded. She's like, everybody is her enemy, you know, like even innocent people. And Katara's like, I know. And then Hama says, then you should understand what I'm talking about. We're the last two waterbenders of the Southern tribe. We have to fight these people whenever we can, wherever they are, with any means necessary. And yeah, definitely also gives jet vibes, uh, you know. So we've had a few examples of people who just, their like vindictiveness is like in the wrong, targeted towards like the wrong people. And time and time again, we see that Team Avatar doesn't have this moral view. Um, so it's cool to see like kind of good people turn bad in that way. Um, and Katara is like, it's you. You're the one who's been making people disappear during the full moons. And the guitar is like, I won't do this. I won't use bloodbending and I won't allow you to keep terrorizing this town. And then Hama uses bloodbending on Katara. And she says, you should have learned the technique before you turned against me. It's impossible to fight your way out of my grip. I control every muscle, every vein in your body. And uh, I just have another comment about kind of the form of bloodbending. So it very much looks like she's a puppeteer controlling a marionette um and it's really starkly contrasted with normal water bending which is really flowy blood bending is like super rigid um so it's really different um and then hama blood bends katara around like a little puppet except when katara does it she she's very fluid with it oh so maybe that's the better way um, <laughs> she's a natural yeah i mean she very much is a natural in this episode and the extras here says fact those who practice this technique open themselves up to madness in other words they go crazy with power which actually tracks a ton with the people who we see blood bend both in this show and in Korra, and they all end dying one way or another or they've gone crazy and maybe that's why like hama can't see reason in the fact that she's just terrorizing random people. Um, I also, in my head, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, it, it, big spoilers, Katara's force of bloodbin. But, you know, <laughs> I thought it was funny that you said that, oh, we don't see this a lot from Team Avatar, this vindictiveness. And then my immediately thought, next thought was, oh, except when later in this episode we do see it. And maybe it's because she's forced to bloodbin here that, that she's uh, opened herself up to that vindictiveness. Mm, yeah maybe but that is something that katara always struggled with like from the very beginning like that's one of her main things that she has to overcome is that the fire nation like took her mother and she she was always just very angry in general um and yeah that, that all gets resolved in the southern raiders episode i think yeah in some way this episode is like kind of just like a big setup for that mm, yeah yeah for sure um and then Hama's laughing evilly while she's doing this because she's psycho. Yeah, huge props to the voice actress, Tress. Um, Hama really sounds like, you know the Palpatine laugh in Star Wars? It's like super <laughs> famous. Yeah, yeah she, it sounds a lot like that here. Yeah, it's pretty scary. And then Katara is reduced to tears. and But then she stands up straight, free from Hama's grasp. And then she says, you're not the only one who draws power from the moon. My bending is more powerful than yours, Hama. Your technique is useless on me. Which is pretty badass. Um, and then they fight and Hama summons, you know, they're both summoning all the water from the nearby plants, which is very cool visually. Um, Tara blocks some of Hama's attacks. 
Yeah, this is something I read when I was doing research, which I don't know how much I believe it, but it's a pretty cool theory that, that someone had that I kind of liked. But when Katara blocks the wave of water that Hama is sending at her, she kind of takes a firm stance and is very grounded and kind of just like puts her hand up to the water and the water disperses, which this person said more resembled earth bending than water bending because usually water bending you usually like flow the water around you and like send it back. And so this person was like, oh, like even Katara could like learn something from Toph during all the training that they've done. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Standing her ground. Um, very cool. Yeah, and then Hama looks shocked, maybe because it's not a typical waterbending stance. And the water comes back at her, and then Sokka and Aang arrive, and Aang's like, give up, you're outnumbered. And Hama says, no, you've outnumbered yourselves. And then Aang and Sokka get bloodbended, and they're hurled towards Katara. Sokka starts drawing his sword and like swiping at her, and then Aang is also trying to attack, and Katara freezes Aang and also freezes Sokka, and is like, sorry. And then Hama's like, don't hurt your friends, Katara, and don't let them hurt each other. And then she starts sending Sokka and Aang like, straight at each other with Sokka's sword aimed straight at Aang, which I just thought was like pure evil. Like she's literally about to kill these this boy. She's about to kill the Avatar. Like she thinks like <laughs> she wants to like help help like fight back against the fire nation uh, yeah. i guess she probably I, doesn't know that ang is the avatar that never yeah. comes up <laughs> I, I had this intrusive thought like Sokka actually ends up killing him and that's the end of the show <laughs> she becomes the next fire lord <laughs> yeah um crazy stuff and then katara actually finally uses bloodbending on hama to stop this madness yeah and i thought this is a very cool scene for a number of reasons, but I also really like when the battle scenes tend to reveal something about the characters too. I thought this was really well done because first Katara only like pulls water out of the air. Then she like pulls water out of the plants. And at, at one point when she freezes Sokka's arm to the tree, she actually pulls all the water from a tree and like ends up killing the tree, which I feel like she wouldn't have done before. And then that kind of builds up to her like finally using bloodbending for the first time. Um, so that is well done. Yeah, but then Toph arrives with the rest of the villagers and then they arrest Hama. And then uh, just some fun fact about the future of the show and like what happens after the show ends. Uh, Hama is of course imprisoned, but then after the war is over, Fire Lord Zuko actually freed all the other waterbender, waterbending prisoners, except for Hama. She was considered a special case due to her bloodbending abilities and her ability to harm innocent people. But the Fire Nation eventually agreed to hand her back over to the Southern Water Tribe uh, on the condition that she never leave Wolf Cove which is the capital. Um, so yeah, she's really locked up for life, which is this, what this next person says, you're going to be locked away forever. <laughs> and then Hama's like, my work is done. And then Hama turns around towards Katara and says, congratulations, Katara, you're a bloodbender. Um, and just like something I read online, which is just funny. It was just in this last scene, Hama just totally exposes them for being like, 
waterbender or not fire nation kind of like mm. waterbenders like i don't know like the villagers should probably arrest the rest of them too <laughs> but then hama just laughs evilly and katara is like sobbing and beneath the full moon and that is the end of this episode i, I have the same thought but i i assume like you know they're probably just so relieved that they figured out who's killing everyone in the woods yeah yeah they probably like missed it or in shock or something but if you remember the Painted Lady episode, they did save all the villagers, but as soon as they found out that they weren't firebenders, they like t- turned all aggro on them and mean. Mm. Goes to show different people or different, different values. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, they were like team Avatar, right? Like they all yeah. like cleaned up the whole village. Yeah. So there are a lot of people out there who just like have spotted the this group of people <laughs> roaming around the Fire Nation. It's also, I feel like, hard to just, like, obviously they wear costumes, but I mean, a band of four children, one of them is blind. It's pretty, it's pretty hard to mask it. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, let's get on to our ratings. Um, I'm giving this episode a solid nine. I was even bordering on 10 for a little while, but I was like, no, I can't do that because there's no Zuko Iroh. You know, we don't have all of the characters coming together in one crazy finale. So I'm giving it a solid nine. Um, it's like, there's so much packed into this episode for what could have totally been like a filler, like Halloween episode, but they made it like one of the best episodes they've ever done. There's a tons of callbacks to previous episodes like they build up this thing to some crazy like side technique of water bending that has this totally crazy dark side to it. It's so compelling. Like even the music and the camera work or whatever is so well done. Um, yeah, and it, like you're 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 totally uh, compelled by the episode for the whole time. I think so. Yeah, I give it a nine. Yeah. Um, what did we give the season one finale? That was a ten. We gave it a 10? I mean, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I I think we gave it a solid 10. Yeah. I see. Well, I think there's only one 10 in the show, and that's the last episode, parentheses S. Um, So if that's the only 10, then this has to be a 9, because this episode is also, like, amazing. For all the reasons Anand said, um, but also just, like, how am I such a cool villain? I think... In some ways, she's even more compelling of a villain than Ozai is. Because um, she's like... Because Ozai is just evil, right? There's nothing really more to him. He just, like, wants to conquer the world. Like, that's just kind of his whole personality. And, like, he's a bad dad. Like, that's pretty much it. Bahama <laughs> is, like, complex and flawed. And you can kind of understand why she is the way she is. Like, a consequence of, you know, the things that have happened to her. And you can kind of say, like, oh, what she's doing is wrong, but also understand why she's doing it. And her as a foil to Katara is so compelling, too, because of, like, you know, as Anand said, all the issues Katara has with uh, forgiveness, especially for the Southern Raiders and the people who have killed her her mom. And then introducing this whole new, like... um, side of bending i guess we have lightning bending but i think that doesn't really go on to impact the series and impact the rest of the avatar universe as much as blood bending has right it's such a core part of later parts of korra that um isn't really uh as big as any other portion of of bending becomes in the future well I, i guess except for like energy bending um so i think for all these reasons and 
many, many more. Um, also, the fact that like the bloodbending scenes are just so cool. Uh, I think, in my personal opinion, outside of the very last fight, the second and the Agni Kai fight, the third best animated thing is um, when she does go find the Southern, Southern Raiders and there's a whole scene where she stops the rain. And there's a moment in the final fight with Hama where, as you said, she like does the earthbending thing and like pushes all the water out and the beads of water just suspended in the air. Kind of reminding me of that. So, you know, I might even put this as like the fifth best animated thing because um, the animations just got better, right? Like the last episodes of season one, amazing but like the quality of animation wasn't anywhere close to what's in this season uh the best season um <laughs> and i really do think this is peak season three so it's a nine yeah and just a quick fun fact that i forgot is in that scene where the bead the water beads are suspended you can actually see reflections of katara and hama's eyes in each of the beads so Whoa. it's just like insane animation ah, um, chef's kiss yeah um, so I'm of the belief that there are an unlimited number of tens that can be doled out. So I'm giving this episode a 10, which I surprised myself by, but really I couldn't come up with like any negatives of this episode online. I was reading some people's complaints. I think there are a few complaints. Uh, one is the fact that Hama just outs them and there are no repercussions for that. The other one is that Katara just learns this technique way too fast, like Hama spends years learning it and Katara's like learns it in a second and I think one thing that somebody said online was like Katara's never been marked by like innate talent that's not really like one of her attributes it's more like she works hard and she's very diligent um and so like maybe this feels out of character whatever I don't buy it I'm just like this is an amazing episode there's so many callbacks um it's so visually stunning it's very creepy and like, it definitely scarred me as a child, which I think was, like, the intention of this episode is to, like, scar children everywhere. Um, I was pretty scared of this episode for an embarrassing amount of time. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think my number one thing that I loved about this episode was just it was so well paced. Like, every bit of information came out at the perfect time. Um, it's, like, keeps you really on the edge of your seat. And it was just, like, written, like, extremely well. Um and the last scene is just amazing. Um, so I cannot fault this episode for anything. So I give it a 10. Yeah. So I think that concludes this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we hope you enjoyed our discussion of the Puppet Master. This season we'll be releasing on the first Wednesday of every month. Sorry, we messed up a little bit, but we're back. <laughs> so um, we'll see you next time on What's Up a Wednesday for our discussion of nightmares and daydreams. If you want to stay up to date on when we release or submit thoughts or questions on the episodes, be sure to follow us on Instagram at at once underscore appa, or you can email us at whatsappapod at gmail.com. Also, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, be sure to hit us with a five-star rating. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. I'd steer clear of the sea prunes. <laughs> <laughs>